Christmas cards back there. Just put them in my slot and everything will be good. We like that. Uh, have you noticed that all of us would agree being wise and living a wise life would be a wonderful thing? But have you also noticed there are very few that do it? Uh, like this poor guy. Uh, yeah, he's probably a great craftsman. He's just not very wise in the way that he does it, right? And uh, been there and done that kind of thing. Um, I've had some things where I thought, well, this ought to work out okay. That's always your first clue that disaster is getting ready to happen, especially if a man says it. Ah, I, this ought to be okay. This ought to work. And uh, then the next thing you're thinking is, well, that'll leave a mark, right? And uh, we've got to become wise. We're not naturally wise, okay? As sinners, we are unwise and we are foolish. Think about all of the terms the Lord uses to describe us in our natural state. So you and I get saved, and then we've got to learn. And we've got to learn by falling. We've got to learn by stumbling. We've got to learn by trying things and then finding out, you know, what works and what doesn't work. And even as a baby Christian, you know, the Bible talks about becoming skillful in the word. Skillful, that means you know how to use it. Um, you can take a perfectly good sword. Okay, let's go back to David's day. A perfectly good sword. But if it's too big for the person to handle, you can't really, well, it could be a detriment. Remember, David wanted to go fight Goliath. That's a good thing. David was a kid, a junior high kid at the time he did this. And he went to see King Saul. And King Saul's feeling a little guilty because, after all, maybe the king ought to go handle this. But he's too afraid like everyone else. And so to assuage his guilt, he said, Here, David, you know, take my armor. And that armor, I assume, would include a sword. And uh, it was too big for David. He couldn't, he couldn't fight. That doesn't mean there was anything wrong with the armor. And there wasn't anything wrong necessarily with the offer to give the armor. He just wasn't skillful with all of that yet. And isn't it interesting that he kills Goliath with a slingshot and then Goliath's own sword. Um, that's kind of an interesting thing. You might want to study that sometime and see what the implications of that are. But uh, he wasn't skillful with Saul's armor. And neither are you. You've got armor. You've got a belt of truthfulness. That is, um, the Greek word for truth there is aletheia. It has the idea of commitment. You are committed. You've girded up your loins to fight the battle. You've got a breastplate of righteousness. And the breastplate covers your heart. And to the Jewish people, the heart was, that's where you think. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And it also went down and covered the abdomen. And to the Hebrew mind, the abdomen, that's the seat of the emotions. Okay? So it covers your righteousness, covers your heart, your thinking, and your feelings. And you know, sometimes bad thinking and wrong feelings can get us into a lot of trouble. You got to have your shoes on. Shoes are the preparation of the gospel of peace, readiness. In other words, the shoes that will protect your feet and keep you upright, shoes that you can dig in so that you can face the enemy with sure-footedness. You've got to have on your helmet of salvation. Paul told the Thessalonians it's the helmet of the hope of salvation, the certainty of salvation. 
And you've got to have the uh, sword of the Spirit, that double-edged sword that you uh, fight with. And that is, of course, the Word of God. And then you've got to have, in addition to all, the shield of faith by which we must quench the fiery darts of the wicked. Now, the moment you get saved, you have all of that. But in the times, for some of you, decades since you've been saved, are you a little bit more skillful now at using that armor and understanding that armor and applying the Word of God to your situation than maybe you were 20 years ago? I hope so. I hope we're growing and I hope we're learning and I hope we're becoming better because we are natural fools, according to Jesus. He said the children of darkness are wiser than the children of light. Okay? We've got to learn to be wise. And that's a constant thing at every stage of life. There's always something to trip you up. You will never get old enough or experienced enough to not make mistakes and not do something that is just dumb because there are new things at every stage of life. So we've got to learn. And one of the things that I thought of when I thought about this particular uh, chapter is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. And Paul said that when God called people out, he called, this is a quote, not many wise. Man, I'm tempted to say something right here as I look at all y'all, right? How many wise people do you really know? And sometimes when you think you found one, then they do something that you go, oh, okay, you know, pull them down a little bit. We're learning and we're growing, and uh, there are not many wise. We have to learn to be wise. In fact, the Bible is written so that we can become wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So it starts at salvation. But then when you have books like Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, so you can learn from the good and the bad and the ugly and the positive things as well as the negative things so that you can become wise. And then in the New Testament, the book of James tells us that if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. You know what the problem is? Most believers think that they are competent enough that they can skip the asking for wisdom thing. Oh, I got this. Oh, I've seen this. Oh, I can handle this. Famous last words. Because you know what they're saying? Let's circle back to the very beginning. Well, this ought to work. This ought to work. And that's about the time you're going to stumble and that's about the time you're going to fall. You see, this guy in the picture reminds me of Paul saying, let him who thinks he stands. That's kind of what he's doing, isn't it? And what's going to happen to the person who thinks he stands? The person who says, this ought to work. They're going to fall. And so we've got to ask for wisdom and we've got to be, I guess, wise enough to know our limitations. Wise enough to know our stupidity. Wise enough to know the things that we do that are just not going to work. And they're just not very smart. And we've got to get smarter as we do it. Now one of the ways that has to happen is as I pray what James tells me to pray asking God for wisdom. And I realize I need that every day because the enemy is not going to attack the same way over and over and over. Yeah, good example. When uh, we took the Baptist Allstate uh, Choir to Boston, that was right after 9-11. Oh, man, security was tight. And we were kind of uptight trying to get 
300 and some kids through all of that security and all of those kind of things. I remember those days. And I'm glad that they put those things into operation. Except they're not really doing that anymore, it doesn't seem like. Now, I know you've got to be on guard just in case they do. But have you noticed terrorism has taken some different forms now? Because their goal is to always catch you off guard. Well, it makes sense. If you're a terrorist, that's probably uh, the way that it ought to happen. Think about that in terms of the enemy. You have fought some battles with the enemy. Say amen if that's true. Right? And here's another one. You have won some battles with the enemy. Can you say amen to that? Yeah. And here's what happens. About the time you win the battle, he changes his tactic. He attacks you from a different front in a different area. So you've got to have this wisdom all the time. And just saying, oh, I've been here before. This ought to work is a recipe for disaster. So as we look in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, let's just look and let's just see some things that, uh, as we said last week, you kind of have to wade carefully through Ecclesiastes. Some things Solomon says are good. Some are just the rantings of somebody who's not so wise, even though he has uh, been given the gift of wisdom, and yet he didn't always apply it properly. So we've got to wade through these things, and we've got to look at them carefully. So I want you to go down to, we're in verse 15 of Ecclesiastes 7. Okay? If you found it, would you say amen? I have seen everything in my days of vanity. Uh, in other words, when I was messing up. There is a just man or a good man who perishes in his righteousness, in his good actions, good deeds, whatever that might be. And there is a wicked man who prolongs life or he lives to an old age in his wickedness. And Solomon is saying, that makes no sense to me. Verse 16, do not be overly righteous nor overly wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Verse 17, do not be overly wicked, nor be foolish. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you grasp this, and also do not remove your hand uh, from the other. In other words, be balanced. For he who fears God will escape them all. Wisdom strengthens the wise more than ten rulers of the city. For there is not a just man on earth who does good and does not sin. Somebody say amen to that. Also do not take to heart everything people say. I mean if you're focused in on that, what's going to happen? Well you're going to hear some things you don't want to hear. Lest you hear your servant cursing you. For many times also your own heart has known that even you have cursed others. All of us are hypocrites to one degree or another, aren't we? We all have those levels of things where we know better than to do it and then we uh, get mad when other people do it and then the Spirit reminds us, you've done the same thing yourself. That last thing is kind of funny. If you are really intent, he's talking about like eavesdropping and you want to be in the know and you want to know what everybody says, what they talked about, who they were talking to, everything that comes up. Solomon says, if that's what you really want to hear, you may hear some things you don't want to hear. 
And then remember, when you hear those things, don't get too upset. You've done the same thing. Ever been in a restaurant, sitting in a booth, thinking that you're in a nice, quiet place, and you start talking about somebody only to find out they're in the booth right behind you and can hear everything you say? That's called embarrassing, right? And uh, we would get mad if we heard somebody talking about us, and Solomon says, hey, sinner, you've done the same thing yourself. You've said things to other people that said, now don't say this to them. Don't let them know I said this, and that kind of thing. And uh, it would hurt you terribly if the same thing happened to you. And it tends to work that way. Because Solomon is reminding us through these verses, there's not a single person in this room that, number one, was born wise. And number two, even though you gained wisdom, you're not as wise as you ought to be. We all have room to grow. And in that, there's room to fail. So looking at these verses, let's consider... Um, these things and uh, see how the Lord applies it to our life. Okay? Number one. Ready? Wisdom doesn't try to explain everything. God has built into this world and into life some things that you and I are just too limited to understand. And we've got to get comfortable in the words, I don't no, because if we knew everything, we would be equal to God, and God has just built it all in. Last week, I referenced Deuteronomy 29, 29, the first part of it, the secret things belong to God. There are just some things you're never going to understand in this life. They're not going to make sense to you. How did that work together for good? How did that glorify God? How did that fit into God's plan? And sometimes people look to you, especially if you are... Um, a teacher or a pastor or an elder or something like that. Uh, maybe you're the saintly grandma of the family and somebody comes to you with answers. And you know what? There are just some things <clears throat> that even uh, Solomon said, in the days of my vanity, when I was wasting my life, I saw some things that perplexed me. And you know what? He never got an answer. Why is it that some people, some people who are good people, who seem to be wise, they seem to have it all together, and then they come down with cancer. They get hit by a car. Something like that happens. I don't know. And why is it that there are some people, they smoke, drink, do drugs, they're immoral, mean, nobody likes them, they're cheating, and all of those kind of things, and they live to be 100. Sometimes it happens, doesn't it? And you know what the answer is to that? Here's my theological answer. I don't know. I don't know the mind and the heart of God to that degree. I don't understand how that all fits in because I don't see the beginning from the end of everything. I don't know why that kind of stuff happens. And I think that's one of the first parts of wisdom is you begin to fear the Lord and in fearing the Lord you understand He is an infinite being who is always good and always wise and everything that He does is right. All His ways are right, the Bible said. He's pure in everything that He does. And so even if it doesn't look quite right to me, I have to default to the fact that he knows what he's doing, and I don't have a clue. I can't even manage my own life, much less manage the world or manage the universe or good and evil people or anything like that. I just have no idea. 
And I think that's one of the first things we need to learn. When we are answering questions from skeptics, you don't have to be a Ron Carlson. You don't have to be a Norm Geisler. You don't have to be some of these uh, people like that, Francis Schaeffer and some of these others, William Craig Lane. Oh, my goodness. You ought to try, and I say try, to read his books because they are very good. He is very intellectual. He's very sound in apologetics. But, man, is he ever hard to read. And uh, so try because it, it's difficult. But you ought to. There's nothing wrong with that. But even when you read the best philosophers, the best apologists, the best theologians, you are still going to come up with a myriad of things that people could ask you that you probably never thought of. And you know what your answer sometimes is going to have to be? I have no earthly idea. I really don't know. I don't have an answer for that. I'll look and I'll talk to people, but sometimes there are just some things that we don't know. You know what I've learned over the years? People appreciate honesty. People can sort of tell when you're trying to just kind of, you know, fill up everything with hot air and you're trying to explain things you don't really understand. And you're hoping while you're talking that something will make sense. They can sort of get that. And most of the time it doesn't work out very well either. They walk away more confused or thinking that you're just a fake or something like that. Don't try to be something that you're not. I think it's what Solomon is telling us through all of this. There are some things that you're never going to understand. Okay, now let's tackle this next thing. Because I think most of us, uh, we, we would look at Solomon and say, yeah, I get that. But number two, when he says, don't be overly righteous, can you be too righteous? Or overly wise, can you be too wise? What in the world does he mean by that? Well, here's how I've put this uh, second point. Restraint and self-denial are characteristics of wisdom. You've got to know when to speak and when not to speak. You've got to know when uh, you are kind of overdoing it. Sometimes we use too many words. Sometimes we try to answer too many things. Sometimes we try to impress other people. We try to maybe overwhelm them by what we know. Sometimes we do that out of insecurity because we think that if we give them a chance to speak, they'll ask something we can't answer. We'll go back to point number one then. <coughs> Excuse me. And other times we simply think that if we can say enough words, people will go, wow. He or she, they are so smart and they are so knowledgeable. Now, they may not have learned anything or gotten anything out of what you said, but they're sure impressed by it. What Solomon is talking about here, when he says, don't be overly righteous, he's talking about the kind of righteousness that is more of a show than it is reality. It's kind of the uh, self-righteousness of the Pharisees, kind of. You know, to where you want everybody to really think you're righteous, and it's really just surface, surface righteousness. It's the kind of righteousness to where in your heart, if we could see what God sees, we would see that the heart is like a whitewashed tomb, and it's full of corruption and dead men's bones, but oh, is it ever pretty on the outside. Remember, that's what Jesus said about the Pharisees. In other words, this is about you are so spiritual, nobody likes you. You're obnoxious. You're a jerk. You're answering questions nobody's asking. You're pushing points that nobody really cares about. And you're doing it because you're hoping you'll find 
significance and you'll be weighty and you'll have impact and all of that. Well, there's some things God hasn't called you to do and some things you're really not all that qualified to do. And Solomon is saying, be careful. Be careful about that. Don't be overly wise. Don't be overly righteous. It comes across as self-righteousness like the Pharisees. Why should you destroy yourself? And look at verse 17. And do not be overly wicked. Well, that makes more sense to me. You know, there are some things you can sin and it doesn't hurt things as badly as some other sins do. Um, I've heard people say, taking the words of Jesus, well, if you look upon a woman to lust after her, you've committed adultery in your heart. Well, if you're going to think it, you might as well do it. Well, that's not smart. That's not smart at all. You're missing the point of what Jesus is saying. Jesus was counteracting those people who said, well, at least I've never committed adultery. And Jesus is saying, hmm, let's look at the heart. Maybe you're not as righteous as you think you are. He wasn't saying if you're thinking it, you might as well go ahead and do it. There are some things that are hard to get out of. Some things that are hard to undo. It's hard to put the toothpaste back in the tube, somebody might say. And so Solomon is saying, whatever you do, be careful and think about some things. There are some things you can't get out of. There's a myth in our world today that says... Well, everybody's entitled to one mistake. Some people get a whole lot more than one mistake, don't they? And some people don't. We were talking in uh, Sunday school this morning in my class, and uh, that uh, Lynn Bias that played for uh, University of Maryland was getting ready to celebrate going pro, did cocaine for the first time, and it stopped his heart. You don't always get one mistake. There are some people that when you look at their life, it seems like everything they did, it was right, it was in order, and all of that, until they shot that one person in a fit of rage. And they've either been executed or they are on death row. You don't always get one mistake. And so Solomon is cautioning us here about living the kind of life. Nobody's perfect, but try to live more of what we might call a balanced life on things. Don't make yourself to be more spiritual than you really are. And at the same time, when you are falling into sin by the grace of God, may the Lord restrain you from those. Spurgeon put it like this. When there's a desire to sin, may there be no opportunity. And when there's an opportunity to sin, may there be no desire. It's pretty balanced, isn't it? Because all of us have those times when we're closer to the Lord and more obedient and more submissive to the Lord than we are at others. And it's by the grace of God that we want that restraint to be there. And so whatever it is, whether it is just indulging ourselves and going all the way with sin and everything, may self-denial, the crucified life, all of those kind of things, may that enter into our minds and into our hearts to say, no, this is not the way to go. And when we get so full of ourselves that we want to talk all the time, we're the hero of our own stories, we are the legend in our own mind, and we are the example of everything spiritual, may the Lord cause us to die to our own flesh in that as well. Because in those kind of things, we make fools out of ourselves. And we set ourselves up for an awful lot of failure and an awful lot of heartache. And that leads us into... Point number three, wisdom remembers the universality of sin. 
And he says that it's good that you grasp this and not remove your hand from the other. For he who fears God will escape them all. But then he says in verse 19, Wisdom strengthens the wise more than ten rulers of the city. In other words, you're better off with God's wisdom than you are with ten powerful advisors or counselors. And then he says in verse 20, For there is not a just man, a justified man, a saved man, in other words, on earth, who does good and does not sin. You know what? All of us, all of us have sin that sometimes sneaks up on us. You ever had some, something that you ended up in a sinful situation and you didn't even plan for it? It wasn't premeditated. It wasn't like you shook your fist in the face of God and said, I don't care what you say, I'm doing it anyway. It was one of those things that it just seemed to kind of happen. And you really didn't want it to happen and you're horribly embarrassed and ashamed that it did happen. But here's the bottom line. It happened. It happened. And we all sin. The Bible says in the book of 1 John, says that if we confess our sin, and notice it uses the word we, if we, speaking to believers, confess our sin, you know, we're not the only one. It's not just your sin or my sin. It's our sin. It affects all of us. The Bible says he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's a good verse. But have you forgotten the verse that says, if we say, if we, remember that? We, believers, if we say that we have no sin, we are a, what's the word there? Liar. A liar. I'm looking at a group of sinners. You're looking at a sinner. And it's more than, well, I'm imperfect and I don't do everything right. Now, I transgress. I step across the line. I do what I want to do because I want to do it. And then there are other times when those fiery darts come and I don't have my shield of faith up. And guess what happens? I get hit and the dart doesn't get quenched. And I get into trouble. And you do the same thing. And this is why we struggle together, we pray for one another, we have to forgive one another, we have to instruct and warn one another. All of those one another's have to do with the fact that we are people who are still in various stages of sanctification. And even at the very best among us while we're on earth, Solomon's right, even the just fall into sin from time to time. And so we think about the universality of sin. It's a problem for you. It's a problem for me. Let's not act like when we get out in the world that, yes, I remember what it was like, poor sinner, when I used to sin, but God's brought me out of all of that. You're still being brought out of all of that. When you look at them and they act like a lost person, why in the world are you surprised that depraved sinners act like depraved sinners? Why is it that you get upset with a waiter or a waitress or a cashier at uh, a, you know, a, a department store? Why is it that you get upset with um, idiotic drivers? No, wait a minute. Depraved drivers, we'll call them. I mean, people do those kind of things. Why is it that you expect perfection out of other people when you haven't mastered it yourself? How is it that you would hold other people to a standard above what you have obtained? You can't do that. Why? Because sin is a universal thing. And I know that there are people who say, well, I'm not good enough to come to church. I talked to 
uh, a guy one time and invited him and he said, oh, not me. You don't want me in your church. Boy, the roof would cave in if I walked in, you know. And uh, what was he really saying? I'm not good enough to go to church. I'm not worthy to be among the, the good people, the beautiful people, the lovely people. Well, what a myth that is, isn't it? Because sin is universal. It affects everything. In fact, as I mentioned this morning, Paul talks about in Romans, all of creation, the universe, we can't hear it, but it is groaning over sin. The earth is groaning over the sin that was brought on by Adam. And we live under that curse. And the earth is cursed. And all of us live under the universality of sin. We better start remembering that. It'll, it'll help your witness if you'll remember that. It'll help you to be compassionate to people that are lost without Christ. What's the matter with them? They were just like you. Read Ephesians chapter 2 and let it sink in. You were dead in trespasses and sins. Right? Inhabited by the spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience. That's the devil and his demons. And just think about all of that. And think about how helpless and how hopeless you were until those words, but God. Can I get an amen on that? He's the one that quickened us. He's the one that made us alive. He is our rescuer. And we need to look at people in the world. We need to look at people on television. We need to look at people in other countries, even our enemies. And we need to realize, what is the root of all of this? It's the universal aspect of sin. And we were all cursed by it. And we have been blessed to be delivered from that. And that's why we are to preach the gospel to every creature, even our enemies. And why do we do that? Because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. And so we need to keep that in mind. And we need to love people, have compassion on people, have patience with people. And we also need to share with people. And you're probably not going to see somebody saved the first time you share the gospel with them. Uh, that can happen. And you may be blessed enough to walk in on a harvest situation. I mean, I'd love to uh, find uh, somebody that had a really big, nice garden. And they say, you are free to take anything you want and to walk into it at harvest time when I don't have to rototill it. I don't have to water it. I don't have to use a hoe to get weeds. I don't have to bend over. I don't have to do anything. Just go up and, you know, pull off nice ripe ears of corn and all of those kind of things. And if they're strawberries, I love strawberries, but I'll let you pick them for me. I used to hate that. I used to ask my dad, why do you plant things you had to bend over to get? I never liked anything. That's peril of being tall, I guess. It's way down there. And uh, don't like doing that. But wouldn't that be nice if you could just walk up and, hey, look at this, fresh corn. Ready to go. How often does that happen to you? Is that an impossible situation? No. But how often does it happen to you? Probably not very often. Unless you cheat and call it a grocery store, then maybe you get it. But uh, you know what I'm saying. Most of the time, if you want to reap from a garden, you've got to till the soil. You've got to plant the seed. You've got to keep it weeded. You've got to keep the soil tilled. You've got to fertilize it and that kind of thing. And uh, you've got to water it. And you've got to be patient until the harvest. And you're going to find out that there are some people that you may witness to them for years before they ever come to know the Lord. You may even get to the point where you say, I doubt they'll ever be saved. Eh, it's not your call. 
Not your call. You just be faithful in doing what you're supposed to do. And, uh, you know, maybe you get to reap the harvest or maybe somebody else does. But what does that matter? Paul said, those who plant and those who water are nothing. It's God who gives the increase. And so we need to do that. And why is it so hard to witness? Why is it so hard to impact people? Why is it so hard to counsel and advise people? Because we forget sometimes about the universality of sin. It's everywhere. It affects everything. It affects business. It affects politics. It affects neighbor relations. It affects your marriage. It affects parenting. It affects everything. We're tainted by all of this. And sometimes I think that in our theology we can name everything. We can name all the points of tulip and all of those kind of things. But we forget it on a practical basis. And sinners are going to act sinful. They're going to do sinful things. They're going to reap sinful things. It's the world in which we live. And uh, one day you're going to be out of this world. And you're going to be in heaven. And none of that is going to apply anymore. But while you're here, while you're here, be faithful. Be faithful and remember those things. And that brings me then to the uh, last thing that Solomon says here. Wisdom is fully aware not only of universal sin, but what? Personal sin. And Solomon uses this thing that he says, you know what? Um, sometimes we say things like, boy, I wish I were a fly on the wall to hear that conversation. Sometimes that would be cool. But more often than not, it would hurt you. You might not really want to know what other people think. And some of you are the kind where you push people. You push them. You push them. You push them. And when they finally get exasperated and tell you what they think, it hurts your feelings, doesn't it? Uh, maybe you were better off not knowing. Maybe you shouldn't have been so nosy. Maybe you shouldn't have been an eavesdropper. Maybe you shouldn't have been pushing on all of those kind of things. That's what Solomon's talking about here. Because you know, you might hear your servant cursing you. Now what would a person back in Solomon's day, if you were well off enough to have a servant, what do you suppose, well let's not say you, the average master is going to do to the average servant who is saying negative, ugly things about his master oh they'll feel the lash of the whip they won't eat for a while they're going to have the hardest of labor under the worst of conditions I mean we know how things used to work on all of that and Solomon is saying before you lose your temper and lash out at someone else maybe you ought to remember the times you've done the very same thing you're going to punish your servant for I think the principle is we look around at this world and we wonder, why is this world such a mess? And we do need to remember universal sin. But as we think about that, and as we get exasperated, let's not forget our own personal sin. The things we did before we were saved, and the things that we've done after we've been saved, when we actually knew better than to do them. So Solomon is giving us some things here to say, hey, you want to be wise in the way that you relate to other people? I mean, the Bible says that if you live godly in this life, you're going to suffer persecution, but let's not stir it up if we don't have to. The Bible says that there are going to be people that hate you, but it never commands us to cause them to hate us. 
by the way that we act and the way that we live. So let's just summarize it like this. The Bible says, if it's possible, be at peace with all men. Be at peace, even with those who would want to persecute you. Sometimes it's not possible, and if not, then so be it. But let it never be because we were just mean, ugly jerks, right? we got to work on that. So think about these questions. Are you a know-it-all? Nobody likes a know-it-all. That corresponds with the first point of the message tonight on what Solomon was telling us. Sometimes you can just be a know-it-all and you make people not want to listen to you. Instead of them coming to you and wanting to draw from your wisdom, they're repulsed because you say too much. You're always in the middle of everything. Nobody else has figured it out, but you've got the answer. It's amazing. Sometimes even theologically, I'll come to a conclusion and I go, well, any idiot can see this. Sometimes the Lord humbles me by reminding that greater minds than mine for 2,000 years have had a hard time figuring it out. What makes me think that I've got it? Maybe I don't. Maybe it's not as easy as I think it is. Maybe it's not as cut and dried as I think it is. Maybe there's some things and some aspects I haven't thought of it. Maybe, just maybe, I still have some things to learn. And I ought to keep my mouth shut my ears open. Doesn't the New Testament say, let every one of you be slow to speak, swift to hear, and slow to wrath? And there's some Christians now, they're just ticked off about everything. Settle down. Don't be a know-it-all. Secondly, are you careful or do you just do what comes naturally? Do you know where your nature is going to lead you? To sin, to wrong. There's going to be a pull and an appeal on some of those kind of things. You've got to die to self. That ain't easy. You've got to deny yourself. I hadn't mastered that one, have you? That's hard, man. If I had learned the principles of self-denial, here's how you can judge me. Okay? Number one, I would have a six-pack. Okay? Why don't I have that? Because, man, salted caramel ice cream is good. And you can eat a whole carton of it sometimes. Can you not? You know? People talk about kale. How many of you like kale? I like Big Macs. I don't particularly like kale. What do you have to do to eat kale instead of a Big Mac? Just kill me. <laughs> right? Let's just end it now. Well, what do you have to do? You have to deny yourself. Somebody said the other day the best way to prepare kale is to... Uh, take it and put it on a cookie sheet, put it in the oven for so long, pull it out, and then throw it in the trash. You know? Some people like it. Some people do well with it. Some people don't. The other thing, too, is you could probably look at my bank account. You know why we overspend? We haven't learned the principle of self-denial. Children try to fulfill their desires. Adults control those desires to make wise decisions. 
And Jesus said the way you handle your money is kind of the scoreboard of where you are spiritually. He said, if you can't handle unrighteous mammon, who will trust you with true riches? So that's something we all ought to work on. So what happens? Well, you know, I look in the mirror and I look at my problem. My problem is me. Your problem is you. And if you can get yourself under control, you can be financially better off and you can be skinny at the same time. Right? Um, let's ask this question. Do you see the world and the people in it as helplessly lost and in need of God's grace? You know, if you really could see that, that would keep you from getting mad at them, being frustrated by them. That would cause you to pray for them, to witness to them, to be compassionate to them, to find a way to help them. And uh, Paul said in Titus that we are to maintain good deeds and it's that old thing of you can catch more flies with honey than you can with vinegar. Uh, why do we want to be caustic and angry and all of that? What if we looked and we said, Lord, that person hates me and they hate worse you and your gospel. How can I share the gospel with them? And uh, you know if I walk up and knock on their door and say, hey, I'm here to tell you about Jesus Christ. You're going to get a door slammed in your face or worse. What if you were to pray this? Lord, I can't really talk to that person right now. Would you create a need that only I can meet and give me the grace to meet that need? And uh, then you see them not too long after that and they've got a flat tire in their driveway and you happen to have an air compressor. And you go over there and they say, you know, why would you help me? And you get the opportunity to share something about Jesus with them. Maybe you take a meal to them when you find out that they've had a death in the family or something like that. And they're blown away that you would be kind to them when they've been so rude to you. It's that type of thing that uh, we need to understand. They can't help being lost and acting on it. And then the last question, and we'll be finished. Are you more aware of your personal sin now than you were at salvation? And I ask that question because Solomon says, about the time you get ready to judge your servant, you remember you've done the same thing, at least in principle. And sometimes I think in, uh, back in 1982 when I trusted the Lord, I felt the full weight of my sin like never before. What happened to that? Am I less sinful? Well, I hope so. But is the sin that I commit now any less sinful than it was before I was saved? No. It caused, it caused God's Son to have to die on the cross in my place to shed His blood for me. It caused my Heavenly Father to turn His face away from His Son on the cross so that Jesus shrieks with a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's what Jesus had to endure. He had to die. His body, his lifeless body put in a tomb. Raised on the third day and exalted now. But oh, what a horrible thing he had to go through. Now does that move me now? Do I feel the weight of my sin now? Or do I feel better about myself because I don't sin at least like I used to? Yeah, but you still do. And the price was still the same. And the penalty was still the same. And God's grace has rescued you. I'm thinking now we ought to be more aware of our sin and more bothered by our sin now than we were when we were first saved. Why? Because we've got more knowledge and hopefully more wisdom than we did when we were first saved. Boy, when I read verses like this, I'm so glad that our Heavenly Father is a patient, gracious God, aren't you? 
because I still sin and fall short of the glory of God. The good news is, for those of us who have trusted Christ, that sin's already been paid for. Paid for in the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And now it's a matter of Him not punishing you, but disciplining you to teach you to get out of that, to teach you to avoid it, to teach you how to walk instead of the way you did. And sometimes that's a tough thing, but it's always a loving thing because, thing because whom the Lord loves, those are the ones that He disciplines. He doesn't spank the devil's kids. That's why He's after you. And you know why He's after you? Because He loves you. And he loves you just the way you are, and he loves you so much, he's not going to let you stay that way. Praise his holy name. So how are you doing in your wisdom? Walk in wisdom, redeeming the time, because the days are evil, Paul said. Same thing that Solomon is telling us. Look at those four things and check yourself out. Are you growing wiser in your Christian life? And I hope you can say amen to that, and that can be an honest statement, okay? Let's uh, bow our heads and let's close our eyes. Father, thank you that we can look at Solomon. And we see some flashes of brilliance in this book of Ecclesiastes. Other times we see it and it is such a dark, dark book. Sometimes we see some things where Solomon <coughs> says some things that we go, Wow, why haven't I seen that before? That's the way I need to live. Other times we look at this book and we go, Woo, I want to avoid that like the plague. Thank you that when you put a book together, you didn't just make all of the heroes great, grand, glorious, successful all the time. They're like us. They're sinners who need the grace of God, who depend upon the grace of God, and uh, only overcome these things by the grace and the power of God, just like us. Thank you for your gospel, and thank you that it doesn't just end with the gospel. You didn't just save us. Now you're instructing us and you're teaching us. Help us to be wise enough not to despise your discipline. It's because you love us. Let us learn from it and let us grow from it. And let us be the kind of people that whenever we say, well, this ought to work, help us to realize that may be because we're just guessing. We need the full revelation of God so that we walk in his footsteps and that we are wise in the things of life. Forgive us, and like James told us, please give us wisdom. Give us wisdom, and give it liberally because we need it in these evil days. And we pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.